How many hungry people in the building? Come on. So good. Folks, if you could move to your seats, please. We're going straight into a session now. That'll be good. As you go back to your seats, can I ask everyone to stand, please? Turn to someone who's sitting either in front of you or behind you. Give them a hug or a high five. Tell them God loves them, so do you. Just begin to declare energy for the day. Refreshing, renewing. All right, together, let's just say, thank you, Lord. You have got good things in store for me today. Hallelujah. Let's praise His name. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Just before you, you take your seats, we want to welcome one of our favorite friends, Sean Foyt. We've had the privilege of hosting Sean for a decade, and he's come into our nation each year bringing a fresh deposit of what the Spirit is doing on the planet. He's one of these great disruptors. He loves to stretch us, to provoke us to the more, and to lead us into the Lord's presence. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to receive an anointing that's on his life because we need it for the challenges that are facing us in this next season. Would you welcome Sean Foyt? Thank you. You guys can be seated. Ooh, starting off the morning without worship. Um, it's okay, because I brought this with me, and um, so if anybody gets hungry or needs to come alive or come awake, I'll throw them hunks of meat. Um, this is one of my favorite things about this nation that got me hooked on coming here, and I quickly discovered your theology of meat, which includes the fact that Things like chicken are called vegetables. <laughs> and that the other thing, that it's illegal to be a vegetarian in South Africa. I've discovered that as well. And so, um, and you know, you, you know it's when, he, when it's good biltong because you can see the, the grease marks, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> It's a real honor to be here with you guys. It is a, uh, a privilege. Me and my wife um, are obsessed with this nation and what God's doing here. And, and we just, every time we come, we just feel like, uh, you know, we've done a trip, I think, every year for 10 years, as John was saying. And a lot of the times, 
I've brought my kids. And so my children, I have four of them now. They've fallen in love with this nation. And uh, they wish, I wish that they could be here. I'll, I'll throw up a couple pictures of my family because some of you, I haven't been to your, your city since we have four now. So we have four. We've multiplied and prospered. If you have those pictures, so this is me and my family. That's kind of a stretched version. We're not quite that wide, but um, these are my four kids. And uh, we've discovered that we only make one kind of child, blonde hair and blue eyes. This is my little guy, Zion. Uh, he, we brought him here last year. And so the thing that's wonderful about South Africa is all of my children literally have teethed on hunks of dried meat. It's amazing. And when we brought my daughter over here, she was teething and, and she was up at night. And, and, and so a friend of ours was like, oh, we know how to fix that in South Africa. We just give them a hunk of meat. And it was our little girl. And so my wife was like, we can't do that. And I was like, yeah, that's a horrible idea. And so at night, I got a piece of biltong without her knowing it and gave it to our little girl. She slept so good that night. And we woke her up in the morning. My wife woke her up in the morning with a hunk of biltong in her hand. <laughs> oh, which ended up being an interesting conversation with my wife. But it worked. Um, so this morning, I, I don't have a lot of time, but I want to share um, kind of my perspective for what I see God doing in 2020. And obviously, those of you that know me, I, I never wear things like this, but um, this is the second suit jacket that I've ever owned. But I'm in a new season, which requires new clothes, which requires a new perspective. And so this morning, I just want us all to put on the glasses of 2020, all right, 2020 perspective, rainbow nation, right? So come on, just humor me and put on your pair of glasses for 2020, and just for the next 35 minutes, let's pretend or let's believe that we're in a really great season. Let's deny the the, you know, the claims of the media that consistently push us it, as believers, especially into the corner of the room where we're supposed to, you know, go like this towards the world. And when we constantly hear, you know, the, the narrative of the culture that prophesies the church into what season we're in. And maybe for a minute, we can just let the scriptures and let the Holy Spirit speak to us about this season. How does that sound? And um, I, I want to, uh, I feel also that we're in this incredible era where some of the legends of history, some of the heroes of the faith have passed on into glory. You know, and Billy Graham, I believe, was, la uh, was 2018, and Reinhard Bonnke was last year. And I feel like anytime there's a graduation of generals, it allows us to be positioned in a season to receive something. You guys with me? Like Elijah and Elisha, I feel like that we're positioned, even in this conference, I feel like there's deposits, there's mantles that the Lord wants to release on us that fa the fathers in history have carried. And so I want to read a few quotes from Billy Graham and Reinhard Bonnke. Some of them are zingers, so hopefully they can wake us up this morning. Um, I love this one. I've read the last page of the Bible 
and it's all going to turn out all right. <laughs> it's good. Next one. This is Billy Graham. Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. This has been my life motto in this last six months, which I'll get to in a little bit. Comfort and prosperity have never enriched the world as much as adversity has. Reinhard Bonnke, this is a good one right here. The less Holy Spirit we have, the more cake and coffee we need to keep the church going. <laughs> Turn to someone and go, zing! That is a good quote right there. Next one. God always works with workers and moves with movers, but he does not sit with sitters. <laughs> okay, Reinhardt, all right. We're getting it. Go to the next one. Is there any more? Okay. Um, I was picked up this book, and I was reading it on the way over. How many of you guys have heard this, Living a Life of Fire? This is the autobiography of Reinhard Bonnke. And I want to read just this little section, because I was reading it in the car ride on the way over. And, and then before I get going with what I want to share, uh, in this chapter, when he was 11 years old, the Lord gave him a vision of Africa. But it wasn't just Africa. The vision focused on Johannesburg. And I want to read this. How many of you guys live in Johannesburg? Raise your hand. Come on, we were prophesying last night. This is going to be called, renamed Joyburg. The city of joy, the city of hope. And I just want to read this from his book, because this is the first vision that he ever got. You know, Reinhard Bonnke led over 79 million people to Jesus. I was expecting to hear a little bit more. Woof. Woof. Give me the South African. Woof. Now, now, just now. <laughs> is it? How's it? Okay. So I want to read this. This is, uh, this is the vision he got when he was a little boy, and they were actually fleeing World War II, and the Lord gave him this vision. It says, in the vision, I saw a map. I recognized it as the continent of Africa. In the vision, the name of the city of Johannesburg was illuminated as if God was indicating that my assignment to Africa would be there. Perhaps this was where I would break the bread of life and see it multiply as seen in the vision by his grandma. In my mind, this vision of Johannesburg puzzled me because earlier I had seen an actual map of Africa from memory and had placed Johannesburg at another location. I kept the vision to myself and puzzled over it as I went home that night. So this is from his journal entry when he was 11 years old. And I just felt like maybe this morning, maybe today, maybe tonight, maybe this weekend, God would download to us a fresh vision of assignment for our life, for our family, for this season that we're living in. 2020 is going to be and has already been a year of craziness. People that are hoping for peaceful and chill, I'm sorry, maybe wait another year. 2020 is a year of, of, of acceleration. It's a year of conflict. It's a year where God's moving. It's a year where these quotes that we're saying, God is raising up a courageous bride that's going to take a stand for the things that are righteous. And I just want to pray for you this morning. This, this, just 
from the vision that God gave Reinhard, Lord, I pray that that you would download into our spirits here in this city of Johannesburg a fresh vision and revelation. Release a roadmap for so many of us that are caught. I just feel like there's many in this room that are caught in kind of the valley of indecision and that God's going to release such clarity over the dreams and the purposes and the callings on your life in this meeting. Lord, may we, may we leave this place this morning, tonight. God, may we leave with clarity. May we leave with perspective. May we leave with expectation of what you're doing in our generation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to read this verse in Romans 13 out of the Passion Translation because it's so passionate. Living in the light... This verse gives me great joy. The, the, the uh, sector, the, the part of society that the Lord is, is launching us into, at least in this season, is the darkest place I've ever been. And we have a history, those of you guys that know what we've done, and I'll share a little bit more of that. We've gone into war zones and conflict places around the world. We've been able to you know, sneak into North Korea. We've been able to go, you know, we have a, a long-term project happening in Iraq. We've put on bulletproof vests and, and run in to help refugees behind enemy lines. We've done a lot of that stuff, but we're, we're moving into a new season, and it's a season where I have never felt the forces of darkness like this in my life. I had no idea that they even existed, and so this verse has, has brought me great comfort. I want to read this. Verse 11, to live like this is all the more urgent, for time is running out, and you know it is a strategic hour in human history. It is time for us to wake up. Turn to someone and say, wake up. This is why worship and espresso rises together. Can I get an amen? They're correlated together for eternity. Night's darkness is dissolving away as a new day of destiny dawns. So we must... We must once and for all strip away what is done in the shadows of darkness. This is not a season of compromise. This is not a season of living in the gray. This is a polarized, hot or cold, black or white season. We're moving it like filthy clothes, and once and for all, we clothe ourselves with the radiance of light as our weapon. We must live honorably surrounded by the light of this new day, not in the darkness of drunkenness and debauchery, not in promiscuity and sensuality. This is the best part. Not in being argumentative or jealous of others. Oh, man. Millennials. <laughs> I, I can speak to millennials harshly because I am one. And the biggest thing that takes out millennial leaders in the body of Christ is the spirit of offense. Amen. And Paul here is equating, he's, he's basically connecting. He's saying sensuality, promiscuity, debauchery, they're all bad. But what's as equally as bad is being argumentative. It will stunt your growth. It will halt your destiny. It will, it, it will not enable you to step into the fullness if you're always offended at everything, being offended at everyone all the time. 
It's like sometimes we, we're, as a generation, we've gotten so soft that we can't even preach just the simplicity of the gospel because it offends people. Well, guess what? It's supposed to offend people. <laughs> Jesus walked the earth as the most offended man that's ever existed. He literally was put to death because of the, the offenses of his offenders, but yet he utilized his last breath to give forgiveness to those that offended him. What if we stepped into 2020 and we lived so high above offense, we were unoffendable? Turn to someone and say, I'm unoffendable. You can't trigger me. You can't get me worked up. You can't have me read an article on different issues and get me fired up. I am unoffendable. This is the dream of God. Instead, verse 14, this kind of ties into what I said last night, fully immerse yourselves into the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, and don't waste even a moment's thought on your former identity to awaken its selfish desires. I feel an urgency in my spirit. This is probably the last place I should be right now on the other side of the world. I'm trying to not even tell people I'm here just because of the season of life we're in, but I feel such an urgency for us as the body of Christ to shift into a, 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 a season of reformation. Not just good meetings, not just good prayer lines, not just good impartation, but actually becoming reformers that see the kingdom of God manifested on the earth in every place of society. That we are not just content with Holy Spirit goosebumps, which are amazing. I had them last night. Every time I worship here, I, I was telling Bethany, you know, Bethany and Chris, they came. They, aren't they amazing? They, you know, Bethany was singing with me last night. It's their first time to South Africa. And I said, even if you sing a new song, they're already singing it before you. It's like South Africa. It's like they don't even know the melody. They don't have to. They'll just sing the words on the screen. They'll make up their own melody, and then you have to follow them. <laughs> and I love it, and I love the hunger, and I love the passion for the presence, and I think it's something that's so beautiful. What a gift in your culture. But I feel like we're moving into a season where the songs have to translate to action. We have to become the song. We have to become the prayer. We have to become the prophecy. We actually have to manifest the kingdom practically, tangibly, in our societies, in our communities, in our different spheres of culture. It's game time, baby. This is what we signed up for. Of course, I want to share a couple pictures from around the world. We've been, you know, traveling for years, and last time that we were here, John, we hosted a night for refugees, which was beautiful, and this is, some, this is me and my daughter. She's nine, and one of her dreams was to go to, uh, was to, go to India, and, and I've been 20-something times, and I, I, my wife, I finally convinced her to let me take my daughter, because I wanted her to see with her own eyes the revival that's taking place there. You know, 1.2, almost 1.3 billion people live in India, which means every, one out of every six people is Indian in the world. Hope you guys like curry. And... There's a massive revival that's exploding there where the average age of the pastors is about 18 years old. And they're right now, that they're, sh they're, sh they're showing that 
somewhere between five to six, maybe even the numbers are as high as seven. Some put it as high as 10%. I wouldn't go that high. But they say that somewhere around six to seven, maybe 8% of the nation of India is saved. This is 1.3 billion. This is the largest Hindu nation in the world. And they're saying because of the extreme spread of the gospel in India right now, that they're saying that probably in the next 10 years, it is possible to see 20, maybe even to 30% of India be saved. And, you know, Indians are everywhere. Like they can go anywhere and do everything and get into any country. And once they get lit with revival, there's no, there's nowhere they won't go, you know. And so we had the privilege there of the last few years. We've been able to rescue, uh, you know, our, we've been praying, God, you know, break the sex trade. God, you know, pray for these children. And then the Lord was like, okay, enough prayers. Now go do it. And so in the last about two years, the Lord graced us with the opportunity to see 350 children rescued out of the sex trade, out of temple prostitution. We have several homes now across India where we are literally rescuing kids and, and, and probably one of the, uh, I had this moment when I was there where we, we, we had this incredible opportunity, you know, because we're not just feeding them and clothing them and, you know, giving them a safe place to stay and giving them schooling and education and immunizations and medical care, but we're actually wanting to see them transformed into sons and daughters, the rejects of society, the ones that were thrown out, you know. And so we, every, every time um, we get a new group of, of children in that the Lord gives us, we do a ceremony where, where we get about, uh, about 200 uh, Burger King crowns. In America, you know, Burger King, we have this thing in, in your Happy Meal. You know, when I was growing up, you got this, like, crown. And... We would always play with it and put it on our heads. And well, we got hundreds of them and we do a ceremony in India now. Every time we have a new group of kids that have come in out of molestation, out of abuse, whatever their situation, where we do a ceremony and we put Burger King crowns on each of their heads. And we lay hands and we prophesy over them and we say, you are now kings and queens before God. And the Lord's been speaking to us in our program there that he's gonna raise up one of our children to be the future prime minister of India. He's going to raise up our children to be governmental leaders and billionaires, ones that were thrown out. You know, we, we've been so moved, like, to, to, to shift just from praying, and, and I believe in it. I mean, I plant, we've planted 300 furnaces of worship and prayer around the world. I believe in that, and we still do it. But that our prayers would turn into action, that our songs would turn into practical application of the gospel in these nations. Another nation that we've been going to a lot, you guys know, is Iraq. And this is me and Bethany. I, I uh, convinced very, you know, like Sean was saying last night, I, I manipulated them into going with me. They'd never been to the Middle East. Everyone in Bethel Music that came with me literally thought they were going to die. People were signing over their wills and stuff. And, and they came in me, and, and this is us in a refugee camp right outside of Mosul. And this was the first interaction that these children had ever had after three years of indoctrination under ISIS, where they learned to hate Americans and hate Christians, and yet their first interaction with people that came to help them as they were liberated from Mosul was the very people they were taught to hate. And so, of course, we used worship. We used songs. We used, you know, I, I love the phrase that songs go to places where sermons can never go. 
They can break through the hardness. They can bring the presence of God. They can bring deliverance. And so we've used that as a tool across the Middle East now. We have programs all over the Middle East where things, uh, we've been able to go into war zones and we actually have a whole documentary that we're, that is about to come out that I think is one of the most dynamic stories that I've ever heard where we, we, we bring people into refugee camps and on camera you see everyone get healed and everyone get saved. Like documented. It's fantastic. It's incredible. And so we have our project there where we've, we've been, you know, helping these beautiful refugees. And, and there's been an incredible movement of revival that's happened because we just simply showed up. And we were motivated, you know, because you see, you see the videos of ISIS and you see the beheadings and you see all this stuff. And a lot of people were pulling missionaries out because there's extreme amount of liability. And yet at the same time, we were finding people who are willing to go. In fact, my first team that we sent into Iraq were my three babysitters that watched my kids. They were all mid-20-year-old, pretty girls that were from America that weren't married. It's like the last kind of people you should ever send to a war zone. But yet the, the Lord used these women to start a project today that's still going, that's bringing deliverance and hope and healing to the nation of Iraq. It's amazing. Right now, it, you have, I don't know if you guys have heard the stories of what's happening in the nation of Iran. Have you heard the stories? Have they made it down here of the underground church in Iran? The fastest growing church right now in, the fastest underground growing church in the world is in the nation of Iran. It, it's, it's fabulous. It's, it's incredible what God is doing in that nation. A lot of the revolution that's happening in Iran is happening because of the church. And, and, and I'm, I, I had the opportunity, I've had the privilege throughout the years to, you know, sometimes when we go and, and minister in Iraq and when we're there with our teams, we'll have Iranian pastors that will cross the border in the middle of the night to come and receive training. And literally, this is what these pastors say, because the whole border of Iraq and Iran is loaded with landmines from the Saddam era and from the Iraq-Iran war. And so we asked them, these are pastors, right? They're 19 years old, 20 years old. They all saw Jesus as a man in white, and they got saved, and he said, be my voice to my people. And that's how they started their pastoral ministry. Never been to a conference like this, never been to a class. And so we asked them, I remember asking them, they showed up, the first group of, there were six of them. It was five guys and one girl. And they showed up, and I said, how did you guys get here? And they said, we crossed the border at night. I said, how, do you, how did you cross the border? There's landmines everywhere. And they, they looked at me like it was normal, and they were just like, we just stepped where the angels told us to step. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, totally. Same, 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 same. <laughs> But in Iran right now, this right now is a picture of an Iranian baptism. This is an Iranian baptism, and one of the biggest needs that the pastors in Iran have is they don't have enough pools to baptize all the new believers in. And I've actually had pastors send me messages, hey, please let your congregation, please have them pray that we can find more swimming pools. It's their prayer request. We need to find more swimming pools. I was like, oh yeah, that's because that's a normal prayer request. 
And so if you look on the out, if you look on the, uh, what the media says, you know, there's war in the U.S. and da, da, da. The craziest thing about the underground church in Iran is when these guys get radically saved, an intense love for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel rises up in their heart. And they have houses of prayers in Tehran that day and night, night and day, all they do is pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Hashtag stories you don't hear on CNN. But it's happening in our generation. And if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we will come awake and come alive to the exciting days that we live in. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 2. I want to read this and, and share a little bit about the season that we're in. I remember praying these prayers when I was 16 years old. Just radical prayers, right? Just, we were in the midst of a youth revival and we were gathering people. We mobilized an effort to gather over 400,000 people on the mall in Washington, D.C., in between the Capitol building and the Washington Monument. And I remember being there and I remember beating the ground with my fist. And praying, God, raise up deliverers. Raise up leaders in our nation that are going to stand for righteousness. Raise up voices that will cry out for the 60 million aborted babies. Raise up a generation that will break off the death decree of Roe v. Wade. Raise up a generation that will lead our nation into a season of righteousness again. You know what, I would, I would obsess over those prayers of the early founding fathers of America. You know, right next to, not too far from my high school, uh, is the place in America where the first cross was planted on the shores of North America in a place called Cape Henry. And the story goes is that they came over from England, they, they found land after several months at sea, and they put the anchor down in the ship, and they looked at the land, and they fasted and they prayed for three days. And they dedicated the land before they even stepped foot on it to the Lord. And then they got onto the land and they planted a cross. And they had a prayer meeting. And that was the first time the settlers had landed in North America. And of course, you know, you see American history and it's not perfect. And there's a lot of issues and a lot of failures. But there was a godly vision and a godly intent. There was a heart for freedom and there was a heart for liberty. And there was a heart. And, you know, you look throughout the history of America and you see the American Revolution was actually started behind the pulpit. It was back when preachers didn't care about being too political. They would preach and they would say the, the tyrants of the British and they're enslaving us and it's time for us to rise up. And America became a nation because of the preachers in the pulpit unwilling to cow to the pressure. I mean, it's crazy. You can just read all this in history. And so anyway, fast forward 20 years later, Six months ago, I'm praying, praying that God would break the spirit of abortion, praying that God would release justice. And the Lord spoke to me. He goes, hey, maybe it's time to become the fulfillment of your own prayers. Sean, it's a lot easier to pray it than do it, isn't it? I was like, <gasps> you know those times where you hear things and you're like, that's the devil I bind thee, you know? But the voice gets louder. 
And you know those times where the Holy Spirit is like the comforter and he's so kind and sweet. And then there's times where he's a harasser. I think in the church, we need more theology for that. You know, the Holy Spirit will harass you into your destiny. Maybe some of you that can't sleep at night and you feel restless and you feel maybe it's not a demon, maybe it's Jesus. Maybe he's so jealous and passionate for the destiny on your life, he's unwilling for you to settle for second best. There's a lot of theological examples of, of, of the Holy Spirit moving people from discomfort. And so I be, we began to enter onto this journey and, and I, I had, you know, of running for U.S. Congress. And it was interesting because this headline began to be spread, you know, this long-haired worship leader in California, out of all places. Who does this guy think he is? What is he doing? There's no way. And I began to dive into the, the depths of this assignment and this call and begin to realize I would need to raise $3 million and all this kind of stuff that I never signed up for. I'm like, God, I just liked praying for it. <laughs> it was way more convenient to pray for it than actually have skin in the game. And the Lord reminded me of those prayers that I prayed when I was 16. This verse in Isaiah chapter 2, it says this, in the last days, in the last days, it's like minor chord, da, 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 you know, there's two ways to look at the last days, either you can be like, in the last days, or you can be like, hey, it's the last days, we're the 11th hour workers. We haven't even paid the price that the workers from one to 10 that came and we get to see the full reward. It says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of all the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The Lord has been teaching me, you know, you know the paradigm of the seven mountain mandate. You guys familiar with that? The seven mountain mandate, you know, arts and entertainment and business and religion and all the different mountains of society, you know, that we're called to be, to go into as the church. And we're called to bring reformation. And there's one of those mountains that dictates the way all the other mountains function. There's one mountain that has its tentacles in all the other mountains, and it's the mountain of government. And it's the mountain where we see the church least affecting it's the mountain where we, we don't see the influence of the church like we do in several other mountains. And it's a mountain where the church doesn't even know what to do with. It's like, you want to be a millionaire for Jesus? Come on. You want to throw a touchdown for Jesus and, and tell Jesus how great he is at the end of the television interview? Yeah. You want to be Kanye West and do a worship album, which I think is amazing, by the way. I mean, what the heck? My son did a talent show at Bethel a couple nights ago, and he sang a Kanye West song. Hashtag things I never thought I'd see in my life. My kids drive to school and they're like, can we listen to Kanye? You know, I'm like, what day are we living in? <laughs> 
But we applaud that and we're, we're thankful for that. But the moment that somebody's like, well, I feel like I'm called to go into politics, it's just like, is that even legal? Is that even like, can we even do that? And yet we forget the life of David. David was, was, became the, one of the greatest politicians the world's ever known. He carried worship as a farmer. He carried worship in the infantry and the army. And he carried worship as a politician. Where he established day and night worship as the centerpiece of his governmental, as a governmental leader. And so we entered on this journey. And here's a really cool testimony. And I, I want you guys to take this testimony into your nation. And I want to pray that out of this gathering, there wouldn't just be people that are excited to do more revival meetings, which we need. I love, in Hebrews it says, don't give up meeting together. I think we need to do this more. But that there would be people in this room that would carry the vision and the mandate to infiltrate all of the seven mountains of society. And this would be a year where Isaiah 2-2, where the mountain of the Lord will be the mountain over all mountains. Like the worship and prayer and presence is the mountain above all mountains. It's not just a separate thing that we throw in the corner that we, that, that, that we sit over here in the nice church box. It's not just three fast and three slow. <laughs> it's not just the item. It is the sound that's going to penetrate every area of society. Listen, no place is safe anymore. No realm of society is safe. And so, anyway, we entered onto this journey. Long story short, a couple more pictures I want to show. We got an invitation a couple months ago to come with a bunch of worship leaders to the White House. And, and listen, I don't care. I'm not here to debate your political views. I don't really care. The point is, you get an invitation to the White House as a worship leader, you go. Amen. You go. I don't care who you are or what your political preference is. You go. And we've been praying, God, let worship infect the highest levels of government. Let worship, let it fill these places. And all of a sudden we get the opportunity and we go. And so about uh, 50, 60 of us went, a lot of us from, from Bethel Music, you know, Brian and Jen were there, you can see them. And we're all worshiping and it's literally the most eclectic random group of people you've ever seen. It's like, you know, people, some of their names you would recognize, a lot of them you probably wouldn't. And all different denominations, all different races, all different backgrounds. And we just gathered together and we started to worship. And what's amazing is it was, we're sitting there worshiping kind of like, like we did just last night. Um, the vice president, Mike Pence, walks in the room. And I'm standing by the door and so he turns to me and he goes, he goes, there's worship going in here? Right, this is the number two and I go, yeah. And he goes, man, he's like, I canceled my last three meetings. I had to come worship. He's like, what you're doing in here is the most important thing that you could ever do for our government. And then I turn to him. This is me and the boss sitting together. I'm, I'm trying to play like, like, I'm in, like I'm not freaking out, you know. It's like, oh, yeah, I've been here before. I've been here before, you know. It's like, play it cool, Sean. Play it cool. Play it cool. But I turned to him and I said, I said, Mike, I was like, you know, I, I, I've, I've followed you for years. I love the fact that you were a Bible teacher. Yeah, I have friends that were in his Bible, his Bible uh, 
school classes, you know? And he's like, he carries like deep revelation of the scripture, not just like surface level stuff. And I said, and, and I said, you know, I just want to get your opinion. Yeah, just stop right there. I said, I want to get your opinion. Um, I'm, a, I'm a worship leader and I'm thinking about running for Congress. And he goes, man, he goes, we need worship leaders in Congress. That's what we need, you know? And he prayed over me and he was really sweet. And so anyway, we, 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 we got the chance to hear from the administration and their heart for religious freedom and li- religious liberty and, you know, what they're doing around the world. And, and, and then in the middle, and then we went back into worship. And in the middle of worship, we got a call. All right, all you guys come to the West Wing right now. And so we're like, oh, so we got up. We run over with the Secret Service guys. And this is the West Wing. And this right here is the... Uh, the guy that's mandated to stand out beside of it, and we were like trying to get him to like flinch. He, he can't move at all, you know? So we were like, we were like standing like this, and then we'd be like, yeah, like that, and he would just stand straight. And so we all got our pictures in front of it, you know? We're like, this is the West Wing of the White House. What are we doing here? We're just a bunch of weird, random worship leaders, you know? And so then we walk in, don't go to the next picture, but we walk in behind these doors, and behind these doors is a room. It's the cabinet room, right? So it's, it's this epic, legendary room. We, we had to get, put our phones away at this point. All of our phones away. We had to get, go through another security check. And in this room, it's, 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 there's like a picture of like, uh, uh, of like George Washington on the wall and like Thomas Jefferson, and they've been there for like ages and ages. And the table is where all of the head czars over the departments of, of the government of my nation, they sit in this room and they make decisions every week. And so they sit at this table and we're all, again, random worship leaders sitting at the table. And so the czar, the health of human services, walks in the room and he goes, whoa. He goes, what's going on in here? And we're like, hey. And he goes, what are you guys doing in this room? And so they're like, well, we're, we're here. I think we might be able to meet with the president. We're not sure yet. We're trying to see if his schedule's gonna work. And he's like, do you know the chairs that you're sitting in? We're like, no. And he's like, do you know the table that you're sitting at? And we're like, no. And he goes, no one gets to sit here. He's like, this is the room where we make all of the decisions that affect everyone's life in the nation and nations. And so we looked at each other in that room. We go, okay. And we put our hands on the table. Started praying, started praying, started praying, we started praying, laying hands on the walls, and you know, just, I mean, we just, why not, you're there, just go with it, you know, and then so we're waiting, and we're praying, and we're, you know, we're praying together, and then all of a sudden, through the door, walks in the president, and he looks at us, and he goes, hey guys, and we go, hey, (laughs) and he goes, you know what we need, and this is in the middle of impeachment, you know, and he goes, what we need right now is we need prayer. And I, we were just shocked. Like, why in the world would a, would a president in the middle of being impeached invite a bunch of random worship leaders that could not help him in any way with PR, you know? We're like a PR nightmare, you know? And, and he walks in and he talks to us, and then Right when we're about to pray for him, he looks at us and he goes, hey, I got an idea. And we're all like leaning in. And he goes, let's go pray in the Oval Office. And his aides are like, I don't know, there's a lot of people. And he goes, oh, come on, come on. 
And so we file into the Oval Office. Some of you guys have probably seen this picture. It got circulated. And we surrounded the Resolute desk. And, and this is why I'm sharing this story. Again, it doesn't have, I don't care your views on the president. That doesn't matter to me. What matters is that we've been praying I've been praying for 20 years that worship and prayer would be released in the Oval Office. And you can see I'm extending my hand to make sure he gets it, he gets the fullness. But in that moment, I, I knew in this moment, like this is a season unlike any time in history. God is giving access to believers to realms that they've never had access to before. There's a culmination of the prayers of the saints throughout history. I, and I feel like, if anything, today, I want to cap off this message, and then I just want to pray for you with one word, permission. Permission. You can take that down, because some people will probably get freaked out. But let's do this. I want you guys to stand up. <laughs> and I want to pray and I just feel in my spirit like I, we have never, me and my wife and family, we've never felt more out of, out of our element. We don't even know what we're doing every day. It's just like our life feels like it's totally turned upside down. It feels like a big hot mess. We all, you know, we've lost good friends that don't understand what we're doing. We've walked into more areas of, 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 of conflict than we ever thought was possible. We've had more attacks than we've ever had, blah, 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 blah. But yet there's something about our hearts being alive. Where it's like we've thrown caution and safety out the window. Like do we believe the songs and the prayers? Do we believe that anything's possible? Do we believe that God may be calling us to do something that no one's ever done before? Are we willing to lay our lives on the line and believe the prophetic words over our life? What if this was the year where everybody in this room took their journal of words and activated the words? <laughs> Lord, I just pray. I thank you, God, for this room of hungry, wild, beautiful South Africans and Zimbabwean people from all over Africa. God, people from the whole world that are here. I thank you, God. Lord, that our heart burns to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And I pray, Lord, I just speak over every person in this room. I just say permission is granted. Permission is granted. Permission is granted over the wild prophecies over your life. Permission is granted to do things that have never been done. Permission is granted for you to look different than you've looked and get a suit and pretend to be a politician. P permission is granted for you to take worship and prayer and the prophetic into places it's never gone before. Permission is granted for you to make a billion dollars. Permission is granted for you to come up with medical miracles that have never happened before. Permission is granted for you to do things that have never been done. God, I pray that you would release the spirit of faith in this room. And that, Lord, out of this room, we would not just commission people to another conference, but we would commission people to take the words and the prophecies over their life and to activate them in this season. Just speak permission. 
I speak Isaiah 2.2, that every place, every mountain will become the mountain of the Lord. There is no place safe anymore. The Oval Office will be filled with worship. Your presence will rest. I thank you, God. We just bless the government of South Africa. We just say the government of South Africa is your government, God. The government will be upon your shoulders. And we speak over this nation, Lord. We speak your purposes and your plans and your righteousness. And we declare hope to invade the hearts of every politician on all sides of the aisle in this nation. Lord, send worshipers, send intercessors, send people, send the Davidic spirit into the buildings across, the buildings of parliament across this nation. We pray for Zimbabwe. We pray for Botswana. We pray for these nations that people say are hopeless. There's no hope. God, we say raise up a generation that believes again. We believe you, God. We believe your promises are sure. And we thank you, God, that we are living in a day that's never existed in the history of the world. And I just speak, come awake and come alive. In Jesus' name, amen.